Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude in over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. With the state of the world over the past couple of years, so many of my clients and listeners have told me that their sleep has really been impacted. So I feel I'd be doing you a massive disservice if I didn't introduce you to our sponsor, Ned, because they have a solution for you. Ned's full spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA certified organic hemp plants. It's grown by an independent farmer and his family in Colorado. Now, Ned's co-founder and I sat down and had a really lovely conversation about sourcing and farming practices and how they chose their farm. And this company is the real deal. I've been using these products for a while now with incredible results. So Ned's best selling sleep blend offers a natural solution for a good night's sleep. It contains CBN, which is a powerful cannabinoid that promotes sleep. It has seven 150 milligrams of CBD, and it also has uh, organic and wildcrafted botanicals. You all know that I love Nervine herbs. So it has oat straw, lemon balm, passion flower, skull cap. These are herbs that help to relax the body and promote sleep. If you need help unwinding at night, I highly recommend purchasing the Dream Set because it also contains Mellow, which is their awesome magnesium blend that features GABA and L-theanine. This is a non negotiable in my nighttime routine lately. If you'd like to conquer sleep with Ned's dream set, functional nutrition podcast listeners get 15% off with code funk. Go to helloned.com forward slash funk or enter code funk at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash F-U-N-K to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. And to all of my Organifi loving friends, get excited, get ready for Organifi's newest product, green apple juice. Yum. It's like a healthy apple juice with all the benefits of the original green juice. If you don't love the taste of the original green juice, this one is for you. It's made with organic apples that are hand-picked, Golden Delicious, Northern Spy, Macintosh, Ida Red, and Empire. So real deal apples are up in this blend. It also has the added benefit of 600 milligrams of ashwagandha, which is an adaptogen that helps the body cope with stress and can balance out cortisol levels. It also has really potent and nourishing green plants like moringa, spirulina, and chlorella. It's so good. You're going to absolutely love it. Order it today. Head to Organifi.com forward slash funk, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash funk, and you can save 20% off your order with the code F-U-N-K. Hello, my friends. It is a special episode today because it's the 200th episode. 
Can you believe it? We've also recently hit 2 million downloads, which is a really big deal. And it's the year 2022. So if I had music licensing, I would play 22 twos from the Reasonable Doubt album right now. I don't, but I do change styles every two rhymes. Anyway, um, today uh, is going to be a listener question episode. I polled you all on Instagram just this week, and I'll be answering real-time listener questions here, Um, and I'll shout you out as well. Speaking of Instagram, I'm going to be doing some giveaways to celebrate the 200th episode. So if you don't follow me on Instagram, head over there at the.functional.nutritionist, functional spelled with a K, and we're going to be doing some fun giveaways. Uh, Essentially, the only thing you got to do to win is share my stuff. Talk about, if you listen to the podcast, obviously you do because you're listening to me say this right now. If you listen to the podcast, just talk about why you listen to the podcast, what you've learned from me. It's so, and uh, tag me so I can see this. It's so nice to kind of get a sense of what people tune in for because people come to the podcast for so many different reasons. So it's nice to see that. And then it also puts the podcast on the map for other folks, um, which is what we're always trying to do. So I like to reward you for that. So we're doing giveaways. Um, So today's questions, it it was so cool to see, uh, and this kind of speaks to the fact that obviously people come to the podcast for lots of different reasons, but it was kind of like a mix of health-related questions and like life and business. Um, Obviously, I can't answer every question that was submitted, but I'm going to do my best to... I'm going to do my best not to cough into the microphone. Um, I'm also going to do my best to get to as many as I can. Um, Last week, I mentioned, uh, I briefly mentioned my eating disorder recovery story. And I had, I just kind of casually threw out there like, hey, if this is something you would like to hear more of, let me know. And I've I've gotten a lot of uh, messages about that, that you would really enjoy hearing hearing that. So I promise that I'm not going to talk about it today. Um, just because if I'm going to do it, I really want to do it right. I want to take my time and dedicate a full episode to it. So that is on the docket for sure. Today, specifically the questions that I'm going to get to. Um, somebody was like, how about a, how it started, how it's going for the podcast. So I love that. Somebody asked, do you think it's ever too late to make a career pivot and to build your own business? Um, another question, molecular mimicry, thyroid and gluten, detoxing mycotoxins, where to begin? And what is your take on binders? And then finally, the last question we'll hit is, are coffee enemas actually beneficial? So we got a, a smorgasbord full of topics today. I'm going to have to keep pausing pausing myself so you're not hearing me consistently clear my throat. So Garden of the Moon suggested doing a how it started, how it's going. And I'm just going to, I mean, gosh, I could talk about this for hours. Let's do a quickie though. I originally had the idea to start a podcast. This The the podcast is four and a half years old now, I'm pretty sure. Um, So it was a summer time. I was like listening to podcasts and I was, I had been in private practice at that time for a while. So 
uh, I had a lot of people asking me nutrition questions on the reg. And I am not somebody who has ever been able to really answer questions uh, like soundbite style when it comes to the human body and when it comes to nutrition, just because there's so so much nuance, there's so much context that's involved. And I wanted a, a place to really be able to like do these questions justice and answer them in a full, complete way. So I had this idea and I'm definitely somebody who puts ideas into action. If I have an idea, it's not just going to like fester around in my head. It's like, boom. It's, it's out there. Um, so originally I created the podcast to create well-researched, long-form content as a way to counteract all the soundbite nutrition and health advice we get. Like three simple steps or the number one thing you've got to do or like, you know, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. Um, because while that's like easy, it's kind of sexy, glamorous, easy to sell and package up. It doesn't really help people. Um, so I wanted a, a, a space to be able to like do a deeper dive um, and answer questions a little bit more in depth. While I was uh, studying dietetics in school, I was also studying simultaneously energy medicine and spirituality. So that has really informed a lot of the work that I do. I've kind of blended the two. And since then, I've done, you know, over the past 11 years, I've done so many more courses, so many more trainings, certification programs. And I really like to mix all of these modalities to create my own unique spin on things. And that's, I think that's a lot of what I bring to the podcast and have brought to the podcast. I love that I have a space to do that, to talk about all these different things. And I really love that people are so receptive to it. When we first started the podcast, it was pretty like nutrition forward. Uh, we really talked about food. We talked a lot about diet culture and, um, you know, I, the way that I see it, it's like, I've spent 15 years talking about food in diet culture. And at a certain point, I just wanted to, I wanted to talk about other things that I was passionate about. So I started to bring all of that into the show and I'm just really excited that it was met with such excitement. Um, so I think there's a lot here in the show. There's like a lot for everybody. When we first started, the, the, what's very funny, I, I wonder if I've said this here before. Um, when, when I first started the show, I was like tossing around different names. What should I call it? And I remember a few people saying like, you shouldn't call it the functional nutrition podcast because nobody knows what functional nutrition is. So that was four and a half years ago. And it really speaks to how quickly things change. Um, I invited when I, when I had this idea, I invited my friend Kyle on to be a co-host. And so those of you who have been listening from the beginning or have gone back in time to listen to our original shows, uh, you'll know Kyle. And then I think it was about a year in, uh, that she stepped stepped down from the show. I can't, I don't know the exact timeline, but I think it was like about a year-ish. Um, and Kyle and I are still best friends. Um, we've been we've been together for like 15 years. So there's nothing like nothing bad happened. It's just that podcasting is very time consuming and it's work. Um, and 
she has had a full-time job. And so like that just, you know, it wasn't something that she had a tremendous amount of bandwidth for, which I totally respect. Um, and that's, that's honestly just as an aside, that's why I get so irritated when business coaches are like, just start a podcast, just start a podcast. Like so easy. Just start a podcast, just start a podcast. Like that's like, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard somebody say that, like, well, a business coach told me and I'm like, cool. Did they also tell you how much work and time it is to produce like a really good show? Like <laughs> I I'm certainly would never discourage anybody from doing anything that they um, have, you know, an exciting, uh, like an excitement for desire for. Um, but I also tried to be like very transparent about, about the amount of time that it takes because I just feel like you're setting people up for failure if you're not also being like, yeah, and <laughs> start a podcast, make sure you have the bandwidth to take a huge project on. Anyway, that's my whole soapbox. Um, <clears throat> throughout the years, there was a time that I thought I was going to kind of throw in the towel because we've... I, I, I've released a weekly show with the exception of for about like six months, um, where I went to biweekly. Um, it's been a weekly show. So it's like, this is, you know, consistency. This is showing up, you know, all, you know, through and through. And there was a time that I was feeling like, I think I might want to be done. Honestly, I think it was more of an energetic thing. Uh, I think it had a lot to do with this idea of reciprocity that I've talked about here. It's like, kind of like the give in the take because to put your time, your energy, your effort, your heart, and like, you know, even some money into something, and then to have people like show up and expect more or feel entitled to more, that really started to wear me down. And I've talked about that here. I, I talk about that publicly as a way to attempt to change the culture around that, about that expectation or that that feeling entitled to access people whenever you want, wherever you want, however you want. That didn't feel good to me. I, 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 you know, I talk a lot about boundaries. Um, and a boundary for me is to be like, here's where I can show up and be my best self. I can show up here, but if I do that, then it means I can't show up in other places, you know, like my DMs, like DMing people all the live long day. Like I can't, I can't do both. So I have to do what feels the best to me. And this is the way that I feel like I can reach the most people. Um, so just the expectation that I should be on and available all the time. I'm like, that feels, that feels really crappy to me. And it, it, it got to the point where I was just ready to like, kind of call it, call it, um, you know, because you, at a certain point, my business got to a point where I had to be very mindful of where I, I spend my time. And as much as I love the podcast, and I absolutely do, I love it. And I love, it's a, such a creative outlet for me. I love, I just love this medium so much. I love the fact that I can sit here in my office in New Hampshire and like reach people literally across the world. Like that is bonkers. That's like just so magical and special. And I love it. I'm so grateful for it. Um, but there are also other things in my business that I really love too. <laughs> so I had to assess like, does this make sense for me to continue? Uh, my husband ran an update on my computer last night. And so my texts keep coming up and I don't know how to turn it off. So I'm really sorry if you can hear my text text dings. Um, if it happens again, I'll like 
power down and try to figure this out, but let's, let's march on. Um, so what was I saying? Uh, so this is where, where sponsors came in. Um, so how sponsors work on this show. And I know I have like, you know, business owners. I I just, I like, I, I always like to understand how things work. So I'm sure some of you will like to hear this too. So how sponsors work for the show is they pay a flat fee per month. So when you make purchases using my, um, using the coupon codes, using the discount codes, I don't get a percentage of sales. That's not how that works. But my sponsors are looking for ROI. They're looking for a return on their investment. So when you do make purchases using my coupon code, it absolutely is a way to one, support the show, and two, allow me to continue to produce this free-to-consumer, high-level educational resources to folks every single week. It's a real goal of mine to continue to be able to do that. So um, the the sponsorship piece kind of like helped with that reciprocity, that like kind of give and take. Also, just as an aside, changing my mindset around that too. Like the more I expected people to show up asking for more, the more I saw that in my reality. So I'm like, what if I completely changed the expectation of what I expect to see? And instead, I'm just like, you know, people really appreciate the show. And I have to tell you, I get emails and DMs like multiple times a week of people reaching out just to say, hey, you don't even need to respond to this. I just wanted to land here and thank you for all the free content that you put out. It is incredible. I super appreciate it. So mindset shifts work. Um, But see, I I used to kind of like how it started, how it's going. I used to do all of the editing, all of the producing, all of the show notes, upload it to my website, uh, scheduling for interviews. There's a lot of stuff that goes into keeping a podcast going. So I did all of that solo for years and now my team does a lot of that. So I create all of the content. I obviously record all of the content and then basically I'm just like, here you go, Lauren and Jenna. And they bippity boppity boom, make it all happen. Um, and so that, you know, that's like a, that, that makes it a lot more, um, of an enjoyable experience for me because it's so much less of a time suck. Um, but obviously that is a, t- uh, a time intensive process, which means it is a financially intensive process. So sponsorships allow that to take place. Um, somebody, a question actually came in from somebody who had gone viral recently on TikTok and she was asking about alignment with brands. And uh, that's an easy one for me because I would never ever promote something that I wasn't like real keen on. Um, so how it's gone with sponsorships is that we've actually contacted companies that we've like basically like cold called companies and be like, Hey, we love what you're doing. Aaron loves your stuff. Would you ever want to sponsor, sponsor our show? Um, you know, we write, we write like a, legit pitch and all that kind of stuff. Um, but they're, so they're products that I'm already using. So it's brands that I'm already aligned with. And then we've had some brands reach out to us. Um, and, and before we, we, we essentially, we just kind of do a real deep dive on the company and, um, what they do and like what they're about, uh, before, you know, just to see if it's a good fit. Um, often it's not, to be honest with you, we've turned away some like big money um just because we're like Ugh, this doesn't really feel super super aligned with what we do. So um that one's an easy one. I'm really clear on 
my own uh, values and what I stand for. So it's just a matter of saying, hey, does that link up with um, with us? Because, you know, I'm all for making coin, stacking paper, uh, but not at the expense of my integrity ever, 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 ever. So let's move in. That's all the podcast stuff. Let's move into other questions. R. Ziggs asked, do you think it's ever too late to make a career pivot and to build your own business? Do you think you could have started building your business now with a young child? So first of all, I never think it's too late to pursue the thing that's on your heart. If it's on your heart, it's there for a reason. I stand firmly in that belief. And I've heard it said before that our desires are like future memories, which I love, 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 love. Like if you're desiring something, there's a good chance that it's meant for you. And I do a lot with like timeline work. So I think about the future me often and be like, what would the future me tell me right now? So you can think about that too. Uh, There's like a, a you plotted out on your timeline that has been through what you're going through right now and that has worked it all out and has all the answers. So what do you think she would say to you? How do you think she would guide you? What message would she have for you? I actually do this with some of my business clients. There's like a timeline meditation um, where we, we commune with or communicate with our future self and ask what messages they might have for us. And I love that. I love that so much. So like right now, I would really think about that. What what would your future self have to say? And then as, so as far as um, the question, do you think you could have started building your business now with a young child? So I actually did. Uh, I did that. Um, so yes, I think I could. I think I could do it again. Um, I, uh, so Hattie was born um, almost eight years ago. It will be eight years in June. And I had laid the foundation for my business before I had Hattie. Um, I was leading, I was taking on some one-on-one clients. I was teaching workshops. I had a blog. Um, I was doing like recipe creation and I was leading group nutrition programs. But to be honest, I was not making consistent, significant income through my business because I didn't treat it as a business. I didn't take myself seriously. Like I certainly wasn't willing to like invest in myself or anything like that. Um, I didn't, I just, it was, I absolutely held myself back because of lack of confidence, um, insecurity, self-doubt, and fear. Um, I would tell people, despite the fact that I had a degree in nutrition, that I had gone through like a health coaching certification, and then like that was like my main jump off, I would actually tell people, if they asked what I did, I would tell people that I I taught yoga for a living. I mean, I did, I taught yoga, (laughs) Um, but I would say that above saying anything about nutrition. Um, because I felt like people just didn't get it. Uh, when I would tell people that I was a nutritionist, they would be like, oh, where do you work? What hospital do you work at? Or what office do you work out of? What's your specialty? They would ask me all these questions that I didn't have answers to. Like I was literally doing it at home with a baby. So (laughs) I, I was like, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel like it was valid because I couldn't answer like the straight arrow, Gennaro, like generic questions that people were asking me. I felt like, well, I must not be real valid. It must not be the real deal here. And that might sound a little surprising 
to some people because I know that people might see me or hear me uh, and see the way that I carry myself and think that I just am like spoiled with confidence. Uh, But the reality is that I struggle with feelings of failure and validity um, more than anybody else I know. It's like a real core wound of mine. Uh, Do a lot of inner work on that. Um, So I can just essentially like show up and go for it despite these feelings. Um, but on top of that, people in my life didn't really like get what I did. I don't, you know, they didn't really like get what online building an online business was. I, my mother-in-law and my aunt who are, you know, different generation, um, would come to help out with Hattie and I'd go upstairs and work. And I always thought of like, it was like Will Ferrell, uh, Will Ferrell in, um, Wedding Crashers when he's like, mom, meatloaf. What is she doing back there? I never know what she's doing. That's how I felt. Like they were like, "What is she doing up there?" I never know what she's doing, um, because I just like, I don't know. I just felt like people didn't get it, and so it was easier for me to say, "Oh, I teach yoga," because people could wrap their brains around that. And honestly, because it felt really scary to put myself out there, because if I really put myself out there and I failed, then you know, like if I would never really put myself out there, if I kind of like hid behind that, well, I'm a yoga teacher and didn't really like fully go for it with the nutrition business, um, then I would have like a reason for my failure, right? Like I, I could like rationalize why I didn't fully succeed. Um, but if I but if I really put myself out there and I like was like owned it, I like claimed it. Oh, I'm a nutritionist. I run a nutrition practice. Then I'm just like out there like raw dogging reality, like raw dogging failure. And that I wasn't, I, get, I just wasn't willing to do that at that point. And honestly, that's, I bring this up because it's such a huge theme that comes up with my business coaching clients. It's exactly this. We create these safety mechanisms to prevent us from potentially being exposed to the feelings of failure because we're unwilling to allow ourselves to feel that sensation. Because deep down, we have a fear that it would make us come undone. And the irony of this is that in reality, it's these mechanisms that actually hold us back from success. So for me, my like mechanism was not actually claiming what I did, not actually telling people about what I did. And the, here's the deal. Like if I, if I didn't tell anybody about it, then nobody would know if I failed. If I didn't lay claim to my hopes, my dreams out loud publicly to other people, then nobody would know if I failed but it's really hard to succeed (laughs) if you don't go after your hopes and your dreams and your desires. So it's really quite hard to call things in when there's a part of you that feels like you have to hide it. So now when I'm asked about what I do, I'm like real, I like just go for it. I'm like, I'm the founder and CEO of a nutrition company. I run a clinic, I run a school, and I'm the host of a podcast with millions of downloads. (laughs) Now I can say that. Now that we have two million, I can say millions of downloads. Um, So I just go for it. But so that's where I am now. But I built all of this as a full-time stay-at-home mom. So I was full-time for the first three years. Um, I did have help from family like my mom, um, Aunt Patty, my mother-in-law, my dad. um, And I accepted help. That's huge. I need to kind of really vocalize that piece. Um, at, at four, when Hattie was four, she went to preschool three days a week. And then um, 
by five years old, she was in kindergarten. So she would get home from school around, like I would pick her, I would drop her off and then picked her up around like 2.30. So I had like 8.30 to 2.30, Monday through Friday for the most part. Um, And it definitely my, the more hours, the more work hours I had available, my business did grow. I mean, that's pretty fairly obvious to say. Uh, But the vast majority of momentum was built while I was home with with the baby. So keep that in mind. I think it's possible because I've done it. I've done it. Um, So in summary, let's wrap all of this up with a bow. It's never too late. If it's on your heart, it's there for a reason. Start talking about it now. Start laying the groundwork now. Lay claim to your desire now because you'll start signaling out to the universe that you're ready now. Okay. Let's take a quick break to thank our show sponsor, BioCult. Their boosted product is a multi-strain probiotic, four times the concentration of the original formula, which is why I prefer it. All of their probiotic strains are backed by clinical research. It really makes a great everyday probiotic. I just had somebody on Instagram reach out and say, this stuff has changed me. Thank you. So it's a great product. And the cool thing about it is that there's no need to refrigerate it. So you can take it with you when you're traveling, which I highly recommend because most of our guts get really jacked up when we're off our schedule, when we're traveling, when we're doing things that we don't normally do. So taking a probiotic with you is a good bet. You can give it to your kiddos. Those, uh, the capsules can break apart. You can sprinkle it into yogurt or oatmeal or add it to a drink. This is what I do for Hattie. I put in a little shot glass with a bit of water and she just shoots it down. So head to their website using the link in our show notes. Use code FUNK15 to save 15% off of your order. And one thing that I hear from clients often is I used to be able to drink wine and now I can no longer tolerate. And there's a reason for that. We talk a lot on the show about processed food, but wine can be extremely processed as well. There are 76 additives legally approved for use in winemaking. This can be dyes, thickeners, GMO yeast, and the top 20 wines sold in the US, the most popular ones, all contain high levels of sugar. So my answer to that problem is dry farm wines. I've had a subscription for them uh, for years, and I absolutely love every single bottle they sell. They are organically, biodynamically grown, sugar-free, low alcohol, and they source wines from small family growers. So if you're like me and you enjoy the occasional glass of wine while you're cooking with your family, head to dryfarmwines.com forward slash funk. For Functional Nutrition Podcast listeners, they're offering an extra bottle in your first box for a penny. You get free shipping and delivery straight to your door. So check them out and enjoy. So moving on. Dana Grows Under the Sun asks, studies showing molecular mimicry of thyroid and gluten. Curious about where that idea comes from. So to really answer this question, I have to get a little bit into the weeds of immunology uh, ever so slightly. And because this isn't an idea. This is like, this is like a, uh, this is a real concept in the field of immunology. It's not just like, you know, just like a random idea. Um, 
And honestly, this question is why I don't often do listener question episodes because I really want this podcast, like I said, to provide a deeper dive for a deeper understanding. And it's hard to do that in a few short minutes, but um, I'm going to do my best and I'm going to link out to some other episodes that I've done before that explain some of these concepts. So episode um, 125, I talk about thyroid health, gluten, and Hashimoto's. Episode 142, I talk about gluten sensitivity and celiac disease. That's a real, that's a real banger of an episode, 142. Now with true hypothyroid, uh, the majority of this is actually autoimmune in nature. It's actually Hashimoto's. So those with Hashis, um, have a genetic predisposition to having celiac disease or being gluten sensitive. Okay. So if you've been diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, you are already genetically predisposed to having celiac or being gluten sensitive. Okay. So this is one of the, like where the gluten comes, comes into play. Um, there are human leukocyte antigen genotypes, which definitely like, is like punching above my pay grade at this point. Um, I am not like super big into genetics, um, just in terms of my area of expertise, but there's genotypes HLA-DQ and the HLA-DQ genotype that turns on Hashimoto's is very similar to the HLA-DQ genotype that's found in celiac disease and gluten sensitivity. So essentially with Hashis, you have the gene type to be sensitive to gluten or to have celiacs, and there's a strong chance that the, this gene will express itself. Um, so that's one link that doesn't really go into the molecular mimicry concept, but I do want to like just kind of present that information. Um, I'm going to start to switch over into um, antigenicity. And there's an episode 175 where, where I talk about our food, our immune system, and our kids, I talk about um, with immune with autoimmunity. You ha- you have issues with immune tolerance uh, to food proteins often, and gluten is a food protein. So I won't get into kind of like why food is mucking up our immune system so bad, but gluten definitely fits into that picture. Gluten has changed. Um, just because of how much we process our food. You know, lots of different proteins have chains, gluten being one of them, because we use gluten. If you think about the vast majority of food, if you walk into the grocery store, the vast majority of food on shelves are some type of like gluten product, bread, pasta, pastries, you know, cookies, crackers, whatever. Um, Wheat has been hybridized. It's also been haptinized, um, which basically means you take a antigenic compound and a carrier protein, and it creates a immune response. And so there is a lot of evidence to suggest that's what's happening with gluten and glyphosate. Um, So essentially all of this tomfoolery that we do with our modern food creates a different product and that different product becomes more immune reactive. So I'm going to, I get more uh, into the details of all of that in that episode. So Hashi's aside, this is why gluten sensitivity is on the rise. It's not fake. It's not phony. You're a fake and a phony and I wish I never laid eyes on you. Name that movie. It's not a fad. It's not like pretend. It's not orthorexic. It's like 
people genuinely are sensitive to gluten. And yes, it's more common than it was before. One, because our immune systems are all sorts of jacked up. And two, because our foods all sorts of jacked up. That creates an environment for people to kind of erroneously respond and react to food. Um, Curses. (laughs) You guys, I did pause just so everybody knows. I did pause and I tried to figure out how to turn the dings off. Um, Oh, I just looked at my phone. It's 444. Okay. I'm going to put it on airplane mode and maybe that will change what's coming into my computer. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. I mean, many people know. Probably Some of you guys are probably like screaming out loud, like, just do this. Um, Okay. So let's go into Dana's actual question, which is about molecular mimicry and cross-reactivity. I just had to like lay the foundation. An antigen is a foreign body. So an antigen is anything outside the body. We have these things that are called antigen-antibody complexes. So an antibody attaches to an antigen. It attaches to a protein, and it's like a lock and key system. It's very, the antibodies that's created is very specific to the protein itself. Um, That's like the lock and the key, like a lock is specific to the key or vice versa. Um, With molecular mimicry, or what molecular mimicry is, is when a molecule structure and protein sequence looks like something else. So Dana had asked, where does the idea of molecular mimicry come from? And like I said, this isn't like theoretical. This isn't just an idea. It's a real concept in immunology. It was first discovered because um, immunologists noted that some proteins in the body are similar in structure to others. So when an antibody is made for one protein, if the other protein has a similar enough structure, the original antibody can bind to the other protein. Essentially, the key will fit the lock. When an antibody binds to a protein or an antigen, uh, it tells the immune system to like, do your thing, boy, go destroy that foreign invader. Go take, to, go take care of it, go get rid of it. And then there's all the immune cells that like kind of rush in uh, to action. So sometimes food proteins can have this, uh, this same cross-reactivity, the same molecular mimicry with our own body's tissues. So food proteins can look similar in structure to our own body's tissues. And that's the case with gluten or more specifically gliden and the thyroid. Okay. So gluten has been shown to cross-react with thyroid protein or thyroid tissue, specifically thyroid globulin and TPO. So if a person is sensitive or reactive to gluten, they'll make antibodies to gluten when they eat gluten. They can also, those antibodies can also bind to thyroid gland proteins. It's like, ooh, it's this lock or this key fits into both of these locks. So when that happens, it tells the immune system to destroy the thyroid tissue. So when the immune system is out there attacking gliden or attacking gluten, it's also attacking our own thyroid tissues. And that is how gluten can be a trigger for Hashimoto's based on this concept of molecular mimicry. And once the immune system has been exposed to proteins, it can memorize them. That's, you know, what the immune system does. So every time you can consume gluten, there's potential for your immune system to like kind of launch that attack. And that damage can last up to six months of the original gluten exposure. 
So that is why I really recommend folks with Hashimoto's to do a comprehensive gluten test um, where we're testing to see if your immune system is reacting. And in order to do that, you really need to check like the whole, the, there's, there's, so gluten is a, is a protein in wheat, um, but it has many different branches. So it has glidins and glutenins and gamma, alpha, omega, um, alpha step, omega step. <laughs> it's different peptides that make up, um, gluten and all of these peptides can cross react. So, um, for example, so I, um, there's this, um, there's something known as wheat germ, a gluten I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, and that also can be a problem with Hashi's and it's the lectin portion of the wheat. So it's actually not the gluten portion of the wheat. It's the lectin portion of the wheat. Lectin is a, it's a glycoprotein, it's a sticky little protein. And that also can be an issue with thyroid. There's that evidence to show that that can cross react with TPO, which is essentially the target site for autoimmune destruction of the thyroid with Hashimoto's. Um, so it's, again, not the gluten that's causing the reactivity, but the lectin portion of wheat. So um, these concepts are kind of like, you know, apply to like all, all wheat products. So two panels that I really like to see if you're responding or reacting, you don't have to do both. You do one or the other. They're pretty comparable. One is um, Cyrex Array 3X. And then the other one is the Vibrant Wellness Wheat Zoomer. We actually have that available for purchase on our website. So you can, we'll link it up in the show notes. You can purchase that anytime. So you get the lab. You can do it at home. It's a finger prick. So it's really easy. And then um, I give you an analysis of like what it means for you and, and, um, whether or not you, sh- you know, wh- what it means for you essentially. So uh, that's something to consider if you're listening to this and you're like, Ooh. but they look at all of the different ways you, your body can be reacting to wheat. Um, so I just want to, before I move on to the next question, I, I present this information not to make people afraid of gluten. Um, I am not part of some like big gluten-free conspiracy. I'm not trying to promote like restrictive eating patterns or food fear, um, but I am trying to present solutions to chronic health challenges. And if this isn't something that you've thought about or explored before, it might be something for you to look into. Okay. Uh, next question is about detoxing mycotoxins, where to begin and holy smokes. This could be, you know, a two-hour response. But the first thing that I want to say, and then I want to lead you to a resource um, so you can do a deeper dive. The first thing that I want to say is that you have to get out of the mold exposure. Like that is the most important thing. Um, You know, I've worked, some of my mold clients deal with ongoing gut issues, hormone issues, histamine issues, fatigue issues neurological issues. And it's very hard. It's kind of like playing whack-a-mole. It's very hard to get headway or make headway resolving these issues if somebody's still in the mold. Um, So that's the most important thing. And that's a lot easier said than done. Like that's, that is a whole thing. Honestly, um, mold can really like trigger PTSD in people um, because it's such an overwhelming thing to have to deal with. Um, but 
if you cannot get out of the mold, um, I wouldn't recommend doing like a hardcore detox protocol while you're still living in mold. But what you can do is support the body's drainage pathways, support the body's detoxification. You really just need to be very careful and cautious. I always recommend working with somebody who knows what the hell they're doing when it comes to mold. Um, that's why I recommend my friend, Terea Rodriguez. She's like the go-to gal for me on mold. She can talk ermi tests. You can talk about um, meeting with inspectors. She can talk you through that whole process. Um, like every step of the way, not just treatment. And she has an entire program built out. Um, Trey has actually been on the show before episode 160, where we talked a little bit about mold, a lot about like Lyme and chronic illness. Um, but I would, I'm going to put her information into the, into the show notes. I'm pretty sure she has a masterclass that you can watch um, to get some more information. So if that's the case, I will link it up in the show notes. But she, uh, this is such a big topic that I really would, um, I don't think it. it's, I could do it justice, but just by being like, oh, mycotoxins, easy peasy. You just got to do one, two, three. Um, and then they're gone, poof, like magic. Not really the case, particularly if you're still getting exposure to the mold. Uh, binders though, we got a question from Rachel are Hamigan um, from Rachel asking about binders. She's like, what's your take on binders? Um, but binders can be helpful with mold. They can help to bind up. Uh, different binders can bind up different mold metabolites. So that could be something for you to look into. So let's uh, segue into that the next question, which is binders. Um, binders are kind of, they, they do what they sound like. They bind things up. They can bind up different um, toxins and different uh, pesticides, heavy metals, herbicides, mycotoxins, all different things that our bodies come in contact with, bacterial biotoxins. Um, so different there's different uh, types of binders. We've got different clays like zeolite, bentonite clay, activated charcoal is a big one, silica, um, some fibers. And each binder is slightly different and can attract different toxins. So you'll often find them packaged up in um, kind of like a, a, a mix of different uh, different uh, binders. So one that's very common is from um, the company that makes biocide and it's called GI detox. And that has like kind of a mix of, there's, there's a, a few really good ones on the market. The thing about binders though, is that, um, some of them have potential to bind up not just toxins, but other things like minerals in the body. And so you really want to be mindful of using them. Um, one that's pretty, uh, pretty, it's not like a hardcore binder, uh, but chlorella is a food-based binder. Um, it's a blue-green algae, chock full of minerals, amino acids, you know, vitamins, all sorts of good stuff. Um, and that can help to bind up and chelate different toxins. Um, I actually, when I was doing some mold stuff, I added chlorella to, um, to part of my overall protocol. And, um, this one's nice cause it's like not going to bind up your nutrients long-term and like lead to mineral depletion. Like others, others might, um, charcoal, for example, love me some activated charcoal. It's pretty broad spectrum, meaning it's going to like bind up lots of different stuff. So yes, it will help to pull out toxins, but it will pull out certain nutrients as well. Um, I use charcoal very specifically when we're doing like an acute, um, 
like an acute protocol, but this is not like activated charcoal is not something that you want to use long-term every day. Um, you really want to be using it for a specific purpose for a specific time period. Also some binders, charcoal included can be really constipating. So it's kind of, um, tricky. The way that I personally use binders in private practice is I use them to mop up biofilms and biotoxins. When we start to kill things off in the gut, whether it's bacteria or yeast, um, they release things that the liver then has to deal with. And this is why people can experience a die-off reaction. This is why people can feel really lousy when they attempt to kill things off in their body. And so the bio, uh, the binders can really help to mitigate those side effects um, by grabbing, essentially grabbing the toxins and then it pulls it out through the bile, through the stool. It, it pulls the um, these toxins out. But the thing is you have to be pooping. So in order to like really clear these things out. So if somebody struggles with sluggish bowels and constipation, I'm just really mindful about introducing um, introducing binders because we don't want to stop them up even more because that's certainly not going to help with any type of clearing or detoxing. Um, it's also really important to uh, take binders away from other supplements and medications because it's going to bind those up as well. So I say like 90 minutes, like leave 90 minutes um, before doing that. Some people say 30 minutes, some people say two hours. I think 90 minutes is kind of like a conservative way to go about it. So that's my hot take on binders. I use them. I love them, but I don't think just like everyone should be binding everything all of the time because they do have some side effects that we want to be uh, mindful of. Okay. The next health question is coffee enemas. Ooh, ooh. I can talk about coffee enemas all day. Um, so love me some coffee enemas. The question is, are they actually beneficial? And I will say, yes, they are. Um, if you do a quick Google search, you will find all sorts of horror stories of people burning their butts. So you don't use hot coffee, a right? Like don't use piping hot coffee and then put it up your butthole. Like don't do that. Um, but for the most part, if you do it appropriately, they um, are not, they're pretty safe to do. So an enema is putting liquid the opposite way. So it's putting it into your rectum. And so it's getting into the, uh, the lower half of the colon. Now, if you're doing uh, like a colon hydrotherapy, that water, that liquid is getting up even higher with an at-home enema kit. You're really not getting that high up. Um, but it still can be really effective. So instead of using water, you're using coffee in this scenario for a coffee enema. And it is a way to stimulate the gut brain access via the vagus nerve is the, that's the real, um, reason that I recommend them. It is a pretty aggressive way to do so. So if somebody has, uh, issues with their gut brain access, um, see these listener questions are so hard because I want to go into so much detail. Hey, How's this? If you have follow-up questions, because I'm doing like, you know, rapid fire answering. If you have follow-up questions or you want me to go into any of this stuff more in detail, then, you know, send us an email and let me know. Um, and I can kind of hone in on some of these topics a little bit more in depth. But basically it stimulates the gut brain access and you actually, uh, so coffee has uh, caffeine and it activates the smooth muscle receptors. And then when the enema like the liquid distends the intestines. This also activates the vagus pathway. Um, if you brew it st with strong coffee, it activates um, certain receptors that um, can 
uh, that, um, sorry, that stimulate the vagus nerve. Um, so there's like kind of like a lot happening specifically with coffee that doesn't happen with water. Um, but the thing with, with this to really stimulate the vagus nerve is you want to suppress it. So you're going to put the coffee in and then you, you're going to want to move your bowels. You're going to be like, Ooh, I got to go. And then you want to hold that and you want to suppress the urge, hold the bowel urgency as long as you can. Um, and if you're not getting that, um, that like real, like keen, like, Ooh, I got to go. You might actually want to increase the, ca- the caffeine. So brew the coffee even stronger. I always recommend starting with a diluted mixture. So like a little bit of water, a little bit of coffee, just to see how you do. And then you can gradually increase the strength of the coffee uh, to get the effect that you're after. But it's really like strengthening a muscle. Um, so you're trying to, you're trying to suppress the urge and you're holding it for like 10, maybe 15, maybe 20 minutes. And then you're evacuating your bowels and that helps to, um, stimulate the vagus nerve and get the gut brain connection back online. It doesn't happen with one use, right? Like strengthening a muscle, it, it takes time to do it. Um, and then over time, people can notice that these coffee enemas improve their bowel function over time. And they can eventually wean off the, the coffee enemas. So uh, that is one, that's like the chief and primary reason I would recommend them. Um, and you can Google around for specific um, instructions. <laughs> don't, don't just use my easy breezy uh, instructions. Um, I get, I just order on Amazon, I order a, it's like a stainless steel um container that has like tubing and you just buy new tubing every time you want to do it. Um, I do, I use them if I'm doing, um, a, like a kind of like a detox protocol. So when we were doing, uh, home renovations and there was just like kicking up a lot of muck or, um, when I was dealing with mold stuff, that's when I was like doing them more. It's not something I use every single day. It's like, if I feel like I need to, um, or if I get constipated, if I get backed up, it's a great way to help, but it also can help with gallbladder issues. Coffee can be really great for, um, gallbladder issues and gallstones. Um, again, it's that, that the caffeine binds to receptors and that causes that smooth muscle contraction. And that helps the body release the sludge and release bile, um, so coffee enemas can be helpful for gallbladder issues in some cases. Okay. Our final question is from with love, Nicole Waller. And she asks, how does one try to get well when they're so ill that it's hard to do the healing things like cook, study, etc." So the first place I'm going to go here is to look at your beliefs. Is there somewhere in you that feels like healing needs to be hard or healing means hard work or healing means struggle. Because I, you know, I, I, I hear you saying study and I think that's like a really, that's, that really caught my attention. That's an interesting, there's a lot of words you could have used, but something about study leads me to ask the question, like, do you feel like you need to constantly be studying health? Because if you don't, you might miss something. Has your healthcare providers missed a diagnosis or missed something major? So you feel like you have to be hyper vigilant and stay on top of all the latest research and all the latest trends to be sure that you're not missing something. Um, because that's an exhausting way to live and it's potentially pulling you 
further away from where you really want to go, which is to ask your body what it needs. So these are, you know, I don't, I'm going to present questions for you to think about because typically when we get to this point in our healing journey, like these are, you know, this is the going deeper stuff that I talk about with with my clients. Um, And it's not usually the first place that I start, like when somebody first receives a diagnosis, but after they've like tried everything, and they're like wiped out, they're exhausted, there's usually an entry point to start to ask these questions. So is there, this is a really, really big one, um, is there any part of you that is afraid of giving up your illness? And like right away, you might be like, no, like I want to feel good, I want to get healthy, but is there like somewhere subconsciously a part of your ego, which is like the the part of the mind that wants to protect you, right? Is there a part of of you that is afraid to let it go? Is there any part of you that uses illness as a way to protect yourself? And I I'm hoping that this isn't landing harsh. Um, these are questions that I had to ask myself. So let me use myself as a real world example. Because I, I was making tremendous headway with my health, but it, like I just couldn't get where I needed to go. Like I couldn't get 100%. And I wanted 100%. I'm going to be honest with you. I wanted 100%. I could see it. I could taste it. I could smell it. But like it wasn't so much that I felt terrible. There was like a lot of fear around feel, feeling terrible. And what I realized, I had to ask these questions, is there any part of me that is still holding on to the story of chronic illness? And what I realized is that my illness gave me a voice when I was afraid to use my own. So when I was afraid to say no, or it didn't feel socially acceptable to say no, or like I would, I was worried or about disappointing people if I opted out, I could always lean back in the hammock of, ooh, that's too much for me. That might burn me out. I can't handle that. I don't want to get sick. I found myself kind of saying that and like thinking that. Um, And I'm like, oh gosh, well, if if part of me feels like I need this as a way to do the things that I need to do to take care of myself, then I'm really not ever going to be able to let this go. So can I practice just stating my needs instead of saying, oh, I can't do this because I might get burnt out? Here's a, this, is, this happened just this uh, last Thanksgiving. We were supposed to, we had tentative plans to go down to Maryland, which is like a big Obviously, it's like, you know, like a, a kind of like a big to do. You load up the kid and the, the dogs and it's like an eight plus hour trip and a quick turnaround time. We've done it before. It was wicked fun. And I really, really wanted to do it. So we made these tentative plans. But then, you know, we were in the midst of a kitchen reno that just went on and on and on. We I had to travel to New York City like to the week after we 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 were. It was a December, uh, the holiday season was like, we just were dealing with a real lot. And I found myself, I'm like, I have to tell them, like, I don't think this is a good idea because I'm just worried about like getting burnt out and getting sick. And I was like, no, what if I just said like, hey, I think this is too much for our family. And I said that to Scott and it was fine. And that was like the really the first time that I practiced not using like my body as a way to say, 
like what my soul really wanted to say, which is like, this is just too much. Um, so think about that. Um, I would also encourage you to look at the support that you have in your life. You know, if you feel too fatigued, too wiped out to cook, do, do you have support in your life? More importantly, do you allow yourself to receive help and receive support in your life? Do you feel guilty or do you feel like it, it, challenges your sense of worth if you ask for help or if you receive help. And finally, I'll say, are you open to the idea that healing doesn't have to be hard? Like, what do you feel when I say that? Like, can you get in that vibe? Can you be like, huh, I might be open to that possibility. So closing out with some heavy stuff, Um, but hopefully you all got what you needed here. Nice old mixed bag of tricks. And, um, I'll check you next week. Thanks for tuning in for four and a half years and carrying us all the way through the 200th episode. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you got something from today's show, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.